Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. It is so good to see you, and happy Mother's Day to all of our mamas. Can I just see a show of hands? How many moms do we have with us today? Let's give it up for our moms. Show some love. And if your mom is not here present, make sure you call her sometime today, okay? Just take a little time. On behalf of the mothers, I'll speak for just a second. She would really like to hear from you today, okay? So anyway, we're so glad you guys are here. We're kicking off a brand new series entitled Renovating Your Heart Today. Now just to do a quick recap over 2021, we started the year looking at the attributes of God, the most important thing about you, we, t- we called it. We're looking at what do you, comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. We looked at what does God's character look like? It was sort of like, a, hey, let's get acquainted. Let's get introduced to who God really is, right? And we're just kind of giving you a, just a little smattering. Um, and, and whether you're here live in person or online joining us today, you maybe you remember this, you've been for part of that. And crescendoing with the conclusion of Jesus' first coming, the, the end of his ministry on Easter Sunday. And then we looked at the return of Jesus this last month, We looked at what does the Bible say about the return of Jesus Christ, the fact that he came bringing a kingdom, and that kingdom will come to its full culmination and fruition in his second coming. It is a spiritual kingdom that we can belong to now, but it will be spiritual, physical, and all other ways, a relational uh, kingdom that will be forever when he returns. And so, It is really now we're left asking the question, how do we prepare for God's kingdom? What did he intend for us to do in the meantime? Do we just sort of sit and wait? There's been definitely Christians throughout the ages who have said, okay, well, I'm just going to kind of sit tight and wait till he returns. Nowhere in scripture and nowhere in the teaching of Jesus did he ever tell us to do that. If anything, we're told no. You need to be about the Father's business. You need to be busy. You need to be focusing on what he talked about. And Jesus, all the time, was talking about the kingdom of heaven. That the kingdom of heaven was something that he came and he said in Matthew chapter 3, early in his ministry, he said, listen, the kingdom of heaven has come near. I am bringing it with me, and I'm inviting you into it. In chapter 4, verse 23, he said this. It says, Jesus went proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And more than a hundred times through the four gospels, Jesus is teaching on, explaining, instructing, clarifying what does it look like, what's it going to be like, what, what would it be to be a member, be a citizen of, to be indo- adopted or inducted into the kingdom of God. What does that look like? Jesus constantly was talking about it. It was a mega theme of his teaching and preaching. Over and over and over, we see this. So this series that we're going to be in for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a member of God's kingdom. We kind of have dual citizenship. You've got to live here on this earth, at least for now. And you're also a citizen of God's kingdom. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a Christian. 
So what does that look like? How do you do that? And what is that transformation process that he wants us to be about? What is that going to look like? So that's what this series is all about. This series is about spiritual transformation process. What needs to be happening on the inside of us? Now, we've done series in the past that talk about your relationships, providential uh, relationships, or pivotal circumstances, practical teaching, and personal ministry, and private disciplines, and all those are awesome and excellent. They're all externals, though. It doesn't really speak to what is happening on the inside of us, and how does God want to transform, renovate, if you will, the inside of our heart? Because we see Jesus talking about this all the time. He's, when you hear him talking about the kingdom of heaven, it's like, what world is he talking about? What kind of life is this life he's talking about? And it is a, a different world, and it is a different life. It is his world, and it is his life that he is inviting us into, and it is radically different than the one that we're used to living in. And he says things like this in John chapter 4, verse 14, that is hard when you first hear it to process exactly, is that real? Like he says, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. In other words, will never be ruled by or driven by unsatisfied desires. Really? Really, Jesus? Like, isn't that what the whole world is doing? The whole world. I don't care what country, what nationality, what race of person you're talking about. Everybody's driven by unsatisfied desires. Everybody. And Jesus is saying... No, if you come to me, and you belong to me, and you do it the way I'm telling you to do it, you will find the deepest longings of your heart satisfied in me. What? Wow. He goes on to say, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life that's going to well up out of you, that there will be Water come from your life. In other words, there's just a spiritual overflow of your life that a thirsty world will say, there is something different about this lady right here. There's something different about this guy right here. There is something radically different. And I gotta know what that is. It's different. It's different. And this is what Jesus is saying. That's what I want for you. I want you to live like that. I want you to be able to know what that is. So let's ask the question, where does this renovation begin? How does this get started? Now, to answer that question, let me ask you this. Have you ever renovated a house? Or do you ever watch the shows where they renovate houses like HGTV, etc.? Uh, we, we love those kind of shows at my house. We've been watching Rock the Block lately. It's been fun. Anyway, those, that was kind of a new house. But if you, a lot of those older houses that have to be like the first question you have to ask when you're renovating a house, right, is how much of the old needs to be ripped out? How much, reno, how much demo needs to happen before the reno, right? Like, how much rot is in the wood, or how much mold, or how much is this is totally outdated and unusable, and we got to just rip all this out and throw it away, right? That's the first question that you have to ask. Well, I would say that's the first question you got to ask when it comes to the renovation of our hearts and our lives, because Scripture is very clear about this, both Old and New Testament. God is reiterating this over and over, is that the human heart, my heart and your heart, it is irreparably broken. It is irreparably sick because of sin, as a result of sin. 
It cannot be fixed by human effort. Over and over. This is, this is the theme throughout Scripture. Can't be fixed. Now, we can mask it. We can learn behavior modification. <clears throat> we can look better. We can dress better. We can put a better container on the outside, better wrapper, you know. We can drive a better-looking car, have a nicer house. Nothing wrong with having nice stuff, but sometimes people do all these things to dress it up and make themselves look better. But the real issue is what's happening in their heart. None of that will change the heart. You can go to therapy for years and years and years, but unless God changes the heart, you don't change from the core of your soul. You don't change. You just learn new behaviors, but you still have the same issues deep down. The prophet Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9, he spoke to this. He really got to the heart of the matter, if you will. All right, let's take a look at this together. Let's read these highlighted words. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure who can understand it another translation says who really knows how bad it is just look at human history look at what we're capable of human beings can do some awfully horrible things and you know what that is that is the heart ladies and gentlemen which is the desire center of the soul that's what the heart is all throughout scripture it is the desire center when your desires are allowed to run rampant, they'll destroy you. And that's the lesson. And he's trying to help us to see right now, there is a realization you must come to if you're going to make any progress spiritually with God. Any. You have to first say, you know what, old Jeremiah, you know who he's talking about? He's talking about Will Lewis. He's talking about you. He's talking about all of us. That is all of us right there. We are all deceitful in our hearts. Our heart is deceived, and it is deceiving us. Think about your heart like a mixed-up little kid that needs to be parented, okay? You can't take your cues from those desires. They will destroy your life. Isn't it true that every single one of us, and the Apostle Paul calls this fleshly desires or the desires of the heart, isn't it true that all of us have had those impulses and desires within our heart? that we know, mm, I shouldn't do this. I know this is wrong. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't treat this. I shouldn't date this person. I should not go to this party. I should not spend spring break at that place. I shouldn't, but then you did anyway, didn't you? Right? There's these impulses. There's this desire to want things that you shouldn't want, and you know that has the power to destroy my life. It will destroy my marriage. It will destroy my career. It will destroy your reputation. It will destroy, destroy any shred of respect you had left in your kids' eyes. It will all be taken from you. It will even try to destroy your relationship with God. It will try to destroy everything. This is what he's talking about, that you can't trust it. This is the hardest deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Like, we can't fix it. Only God can fix it. And until we come to that place, we can't move forward. This is so incredibly important that you understand this. And let me, let me say it this way and put the principle on the board here. If you don't think your heart needs renovating, you will never experience spiritual transformation into Christ-likeness. That's strong, but it is so true. 
Unless you come to that place, and I hope my prayer all week has been at this point in this message, when you're hearing this online, in person, right now, that you would say, yes, that is true. What God said through his prophet is true about me right now. And the Apostle Paul said it this way in the New Testament in Romans 3.10. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Jesus is it. And it is only through him that we get renovated. And we have to start with our heart. This is why when Jesus came to earth, he didn't say, okay, time to get cleaned up. Like, let's all try to get real moral. Let's all try to get real good, right? Because then I'm going to round up all you good people, and I'm going to induct you into my kingdom. And that's how this Christianity thing's going to work. That is not, that is the opposite of what he did. It was the opposite of what he did. He came down and had compassion on us because he understood this is us. We are broken. We are filled with rotted wood that can, we cannot fix. No human effort will ever be able to renovate the heart. Only God, your creator, who loves you, cares about you, has sacrificed himself so that he could make available to you a new life in him. Only he can do that. And this is why you must receive his new heart, his new life that he offers to you. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where he said this. He said, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a, let's say it together, become a new person the old life is what? It's, it's gone, right? A new life has begun. A new life has begun. Now, you may be reading that. Some of you are a little more jaded and cynical saying, okay, that's great. Well, what about all these Christians that don't really change? What happens to them? Like, what, what happened in that issue? Let's put the question up here. The, uh, why don't Christians act more like Jesus, right? If that's true, God gave them a new life. Well, let me answer that question with another question. Is it possible for a prisoner to get free, but yet in he or she's mind, they still behave like a prisoner? Is that possible? Yes or no? Yes, not a trick question. Let me give it to you another one. Let's say a person gets out of an abusive relationship. That abuser is gone. They are not a part of their life anymore. Is it possible for that person who was formerly abused to go into every preceding uh, or succeeding relationship with an abusive mindset and act like a victim from there forward? Is that possible? You better believe it is. There are a lot of you. Some of you that are watching this today may be saying, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with that, right? That is totally possible. And that's what Paul is talking about there that you've been given a new life. Now there is a process that God will help you with through the power of his Holy Spirit that to teach your heart to desire things that are in keeping with your new identity in Jesus Christ. It's like moving to a new country and going, oh my gosh, this country is so much better than the country I came from, but I do need to learn the language and the customs, and I need to get acclimated, and I gotta like learn how to live in this kingdom. Like I'm in this new world, and there's some things to learn, and some new habits to form, and 
This is what he's talking about, and that's what is required of us, but that's also the place where a lot of people go, er, I'm not going any further, right? I, got, I prayed the prayer, and I got the fire insurance, and I, 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 I you know, asked Jesus to forgive me, and, but they never proceed with the relationship process. They never begin to surrender their desires before God and say, God, I need to, my desires to be synced up with my new identity in you. This is so, so critical. And this is what gets missed so much in Christianity globally. And, and I want you guys so bad for you to take this seriously, to begin to live a life of submission before God, to really learn that that is where true freedom is found and that when we, first, when, we, when we finally decide to do that, we will find the life we've always wanted. And the, the life that we always wanted is going to be found in the Lord and the life that he came to bring. So to experience spiritual transformation into Christ-likeness, we must die to self. The old life has passed away, remember? Like, I have to remind myself sometimes that the old will is dead, and there's a new will that is going to be alive in Christ, that is alive in Christ, and I need to learn to be the new will in Jesus. And, and I love how the Apostle Paul sort of shares with us this beautiful insight, this secret. And this, this scripture I'm about to share with you, I think for some of you, if you take this to heart and begin to apply it in your life, it could be one of the hinge points of your spiritual life. It could change everything for you. It could accelerate your spiritual growth. It could bring you into a whole new level with God like never before. Here's what Paul said, and this is something he learned the hard way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Do you hear the death, right? Crucifixion was a death sentence back then, right? I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in, let's, let's say it together, Christ lives in, in me. Now, let's just think about that phrase for just a second. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Will is not running the show anymore. Christ lives in me. Now, Jesus has taken up residence within me. God tells us that he has birthed his spirit inside of those who have come to faith in him. This is part of what it means to be born again. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But this is, Christ now is trying to fulfill <clears throat> his will and his way through my life. I think this is part of why Jesus taught us to pray. You know, in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, guess where that starts? That starts right here with this guy. This starts with the middle of who I am. God, I desire your will to be done. The practical, functional will of God coming to earth is through my choices, first and foremost. This is how God's kingdom comes to earth. It's through your choices and my choices. It's how we choose to treat one another and how we choose to treat God and the, whether we make it a priority or not, make him a priority or not, makes all the difference in the world. <clears throat> he says, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. Now he's making it clear. I'm not talking about after you die. 
I'm not talking about in heaven. I'm talking about the life you now live in this body, this flesh and bone right here, alive, spending this time with each other, right? I live by faith, confidence, trust in the Son of God. Why would you trust him? Because he loved me and he gave himself for me. What more could you ask from anybody? Like, I trust him. I trust him. I give my whole life to him everything to him. I've learned that when I finally give it all up, that's when Paul finally came really alive. It's like he's showing us you don't even know who you are until you're surrendered to Jesus. You can't even know what your creator, the beautiful stuff he put in you until you fully give yourself to him because you'll constantly default setting, fall back into following yourself even another place where Paul talks about covetousness or being, you know, greedy for and jealous of other people's thing, he says it's idolatry. How is that idolatry? It's self-idolatry. It's worshiping yourself, saying I should give myself everything I want. Go make yourself happy. That's our culture's mantra, right? He's saying you do that and you die. You will destroy yourself living like that. But if you will come and do what, what is absolutely contradictory, cuts across the grain of this culture that you live in, if you will be willing to do that, it takes courage to be my follower. If you will do that, you will find life. And you will find life right now while you're still on this earth. And it will just continue forever. And it's beautiful but it starts with us learning to die to ourselves, to be crucified with Christ. So dying to self, let me be clear here, is not trying real hard to be a good Christian. I hear people sometimes, Pastor, I'm trying real hard to be a good Christian. I'm telling you, you can't try hard enough, right? It's just not possible. And nowhere in Scripture does it say where Jesus is like, well, get back out there and try real hard to be a good Christian, right? You're just not trying hard enough. That, that is not how it works. It's about surrender. It's not about, ugh. As a matter of fact, Jesus went against that whole grit your teeth and try harder mentality when he was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. He says, unless your righteousness is greater and surpasses the scribe and the Pharisee, you cannot belong to my kingdom. Oh my gosh. Everybody who heard that would be thinking, okay, the scribes and the Pharisees, no one was more scrupulous, more exacting in their religion and following the rules and doing everything right and looked so good and so righteous and so holy. Nobody looked better than these guys. And he's going, unless you're way holier than them. Because Jesus, over and over, he said, listen, those guys, they're like whitewashed tombs. They're like real pretty graves. They look real great on the outside, but they have wicked rot on the inside of their heart, and they won't let me in. They won't let God in. Don't live like that. That's the kind of righteousness that, that keeps you from knowing the kingdom of God. Don't live like that. It's not about trying real hard. It's about surrender. It's about giving everything to him. So dying to self is a part of being born again. It's a part of being born again. Over in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, there's this interesting conversation Jesus has with a Pharisee. 
named Nicodemus. He comes to him under the cover of night because he knew it was very controversial to talk to Jesus. There's a lot of Pharisees that didn't like him, and ultimately they're the ones who orchestrated the cross. That They, tried, they are the ones who got Jesus killed. So Nicodemus is like, I really think this guy is from God, but I'm going to have to come at night. And he's like, hey, Jesus, got some questions for you. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. He's very confused. Wait, I'm a grown man. Okay, I can't be born again. He says, no, no, no. You know, flesh gives birth to, to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. I'm talking about you, you must be born again spiritually, that God wants to give you a new heart, a new decision center, a new desire center of your soul that will help to inform all the rest of you, and it will transform you. He was gonna, he's going to change everything if you will let him. And Nicodemus was radically changed because of what Jesus told him. And it's the same thing with us, that we must be born again, that we have to die to ourselves and to be born into the Spirit of God. But not only is there death to self, kind of dying to yourself to be born again, but it's an ongoing process. It doesn't stop there. It's an ongoing process called sanctification. And sanctification is just a big theological word that means set apart for God, holy, consecrated. And we see this over and over throughout Scripture that God's saying, listen, it started in the temple. These things were sanctified. They were holy, <clears throat> used for worship of God. And he's saying, no, now you are the things of God. You are holy. I want you to go and live differently. I want you to be radically different than the rest of the world because then you will shine forth before a world. They will see your good works and praise your Father in heaven, Jesus said. He said, this is how it works, that this is an ongoing process of dying to self. So you see, dying to self is both a one-time event and a lifelong process. And it's something that is critical. It is an indispensable part of the transformation process into Christ-likeness. You don't get there without this, right? That's what Jesus taught. As a matter of fact, he over and over told his disciples this ongoing process of dying to self, he called it taking up your cross daily and follow me. Again, the cross was a symbol of execution, of death. He's saying there is a death process to the old you. There is a death process to the old will in order to follow where Jesus is leading. There was a time early in my ministry, early in my adulthood, I'm just be really honest, I felt like I sought the approval of people way too much. And it it just was a constant crazy maker. I, I could never keep everybody happy. And I finally had to come to a place of saying, I have to die to that old will. <laughs> I can't live like that anymore. And I have to trust Jesus, put my full confidence, my full, full trust in him and do what he says and just let things fall where they may. Love everybody, but don't seek their approval Oh my goodness, has that been freeing. I, I'm not saying I don't ever struggle with it. Sometimes I do struggle with that, but it has become a huge area of victory from where it used to be. And I'm just saying that it's not sinless perfection we're shooting for. We're just saying we just want to move in this direction. That's what following with your cross daily means. And this is where, where Jesus said it in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the, <clears throat> the crowd to him, along with his disciples, <clears throat> he's telling everybody this, whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, 
wants to be my pupil, who wants to learn from me, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And then he went on to say, he went so far as to say it this way, in Luke chapter 14, 27, he says, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Whoa, Jesus, that's pretty heavy. You cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to go through this process, then you haven't counted the cost, he says. You need to really think about this because there is a death process that happens, but it's also a coming alive. The more I die to will, the more I come alive in Christ, the more he comes alive within me. And it is beautiful and it's powerful and there's such great breakthrough. The, the <clears throat> dying to self is the key to coming alive in Christ. Now let me be clear about something. Dying to self does not mean self-rejection or self-hatred. That is not what I'm talking about. We should be so careful. We don't ever reject or hate on anything that God says, I love that. And God says, I love you and I love everything about you because I created you this way. I love everything about you minus the effects of sin on you and I want to help you to be able to move past that. I want to help you to be able to grow in that direction and get free from those things, right? But this, teaching us to deny ourselves certain things is not God not loving us. It is proof that he does love us. Now, I have three daughters, Right? I have denied my daughters many times, many things they've asked for. Not because I don't love them, because I do love them. And I bet every parent here could say the same thing about their kids. You have denied them things because you love them too much to give them to them, right? You know, they can't handle it right now. And maybe not handle it ever. But you, you realize that's a part of the loving process. And any kind of growth is going to require some self-denial and self-sacrifice. Think about it. Even if you want to get your body to be healthier, fitter, stronger, right? You have to deny what you desire. Your old habits have to be put to death. You can't have a dozen Krispy Kreme. You can't have all the cookies you want, right? You learn new habits. But here's the beautiful thing. As you learn the new habits, you'll start to desire and crave the new things. I never thought I could like salads, but I do now, okay? I'm par partially joking, but I, I really do like them. And it's kind of crazy because I didn't, until you start to say, okay, Lord, help me to start to feast on the things of you. And it's like, this is what John was talking about over in John 3, 3.30. He says, he must increase and I must, say it with me, I must decrease, right? This is how it works, this is how it worked for John. This is how it works for me and you. This is how it works. And we, we say, Jesus, I'm going to elevate you. You're going to call the shots. Now, will isn't going to be the filter through which, how am I going to spend my money or any extra time or discretionary this and that? And what am I going to do? Like, what do I want? What do I desire? What do I? But first to say, God, what do you want? What do you desire? How do you want to use this? How do you want me to treat my spouse? How do you want me to treat my mom on Mother's Day? How do you want me to treat my kids? How do you want me to raise these kids? How do you want me to, to function in my job? He's saying, I want you to be a light, and I'll show you how. But it starts with a heart of humility. It's, it's being willing to surrender and say, God, I want you more than I want anything in this world. Even before you fully want that. It's just telling God, I want to want you. 
Maybe that's where you are today. I want to want you more than I want anything else. And God will begin to transform your wanter inside of you, okay? It's crazy how it works. It really is. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Peter put it this way. I love this. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. He will lift you up in due time. He's going to give you opportunities. He's going to open doors. He's going to do things in your life at the right time if you will humble yourself before him. He's not going to cheat you out of the life you could have had if you turned your back on God and ran and just did whatever you want. That's only going to leave you with all kinds of resentment and regret, residue from sin that you'll have to live with the rest of your life. Don't, Don't do that. And it's beautiful how when we start to ask the question, okay, well, how, how is he going to do that? How is he going to transform us? He does that in such a powerful and beautiful way through his word. You see, dying to self allows us, allows uh, God to transform you through his word. And one of the last prayers that Jesus prayed right before the cross in John chapter 17, verse 17, when he was praying for the disciples, by the way, but really all the followers right up to today, He prays this to the Father. He says, sanctify them. There's our word again, sanctification. Remember, set apart for God, consecrated, holy. He says, I want you to make them holy. I want them to be in that process of picking up the cross daily. I want them to learn to die to themselves so that I might come alive within them, that they might learn to live this life in the body as a life lived in faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you, right? Sanctify them by the truth. And what is the truth? Your, let's say it together, your, your word is truth. Jesus is saying, just make no mistake about it. Jesus quoted all this Old Testament as authoritative word of God. And he is the one who brought together all of the believers who wrote the New Testament. And they were simply regurgitating what Jesus had taught them and by way of the Holy Spirit so that we might have a roadmap of how to live now, how to, how to come alive in Christ but die to self. And this is a critical first step in renovating of the heart and personal transformation into Christ-likeness. Dying to self is finally understanding that Jesus is the only source of living water that will quench the thirst of your soul. There's nothing else. Let me save you a lot of years of regret, a lot of searching. Jesus, let's just go back to our verse that we started with in John chapter 4, verse 14. Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. They will never be ruled by, driven, driven by unquenchable, unfulfilled desires. Why? Because I have become the fulfillment of all the desires of our heart have been found in our Lord. (laughs) That's what he created us for. That's what he's designed us for. This is the thing for which your soul craves. And there is a kingdom that is open wide. And it beckons to us today. Come. Come partake. Come be a part. Don't miss this moment. The kingdom will not be open forever. Your life won't last. On this earth will last forever. Take this opportunity. Make the most of it while you have this opportunity 
because it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life, starting right here, right now. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.